This week, I'll be telling you about the exciting politician and Virginia delegate, George Mason. It's podcast number 14, and you're listening to The Founding Female. George Mason had a great-grandfather, George Mason I, who was a cavalier, the military who were defeated in the English Civil War. And after that, some of them moved to America in the 1640s and 1650s. George Mason I moved to what is now Statford County, Virginia. For bringing his party to the colonies, he was awarded 50 acres for each person. His son, who was George Mason II, born 1660, in 1742 was the first to move to what became Fairfax County, Virginia. George Mason III, born in 1690, served in the House of Burgesses and was a county lieutenant just like his father. Our George Mason, who was the fourth, his mother was Anne Thompson Mason. She was the daughter of a former Attorney General of Virginia, who came from London and was a Yorkshire family. The Masons lived in a colonial Virginia, which at the time had fewer roads and commerce was carried by Chesapeake Bay. Even the capital, Williamsburg, when legislature was not in session, saw little activity. Our George Mason, who was the fourth by that name, was born December 11, 1725, and they believe he was born at his father's plantation, later known as Mason Neck. They're unsure because his parents also lived in their lands across the Potomac in Maryland. George's father, George Mason III, died on March 5, 1735, when his boat capsized while he crossed the Potomac. So his mother, Anne, now a widow, raised 10-year-old George and the two younger siblings as co-guardian with the lawyer John Mercer. John Mercer was their uncle by marriage, since he wed George's father's sister, Catherine. At 21 years of age, George inherited his father's large estate, which was thousands of acres of land in Virginia and Maryland, and also thousands of acres of unclear land in the western country. He began his education with Mr. Williams in 1736. Williams was hired to teach him for the price of a thousand pounds of tobacco per annum. When he began studying, it was still at his mother's home. Later, he was boarded out to Mrs. Simpson in Maryland, and Williams was still his teacher through 1739. He was very smart and a man of strong opinions, and sometimes his views gave offense. He attained his majority in 1746 and continued to reside with his siblings and mother at a place called Chamawamzik. In the year 1747, he was named to the Fairfax County Court. He was also elected vestryman for Truro Parish, serving between 1749 and 1785. Among the officers of the county militia, he took a position and eventually rose to the rank of colonial. In 1748, he sought a seat in the House of Burgesses, but wasn't successful, and then later in 1758, he would win that seat. Though he was a justice for the majority of his life, because of non-attendance, he was excluded from court from 1752 to 1764, and then resigned in 1789, when continued service meant swearing to uphold a constitution he could not support. It should also be noted Mason was also often in poor health. In Alexandria, Virginia, Mason purchased three original lots along King and Royal Street and was a municipal trustee in 1754. He married Anne Elbick on April 4, 1750. She was the only child of William and Sarah Elbick. The Masons lived adjacent to them in Maryland. George and Anne had nine children who survived to adulthood, and in 1773, Anne Mason died. We know from surviving accounts their marriage was a happy one. At the beginning of 1755, Mason began to build his home, Gunston Hall. He was most proud of the gardens which still surround the home today. A project he was involved in was the Ohio Company. He invested into it in 1749 and became treasurer in 1752. 
He held that office for 40 years until his death in 1792. The Ohio Company brought him into contact with many other prominent Virginians, including George Washington. These two were friends for many years until their friendship disbanded regarding differences to the federal constitution. Washington had a lot of respect for Mason and his intellectual abilities, asking his advice on things and writing in 1777, when he learned Mason had taken charge of an issue before the General Assembly. I know of no person better qualified than Colonial Mason and shall be very happy to hear he has taken it in his hand. Not much is known about Mason's political views prior to the 1760s when he came to oppose the British colonial policies. We do know his response to the Stamp Act was that he opposed it. He also drafted an act to allow for one of the most common court actions, Repelvin, to take place without the use of stamped paper and send it to George Washington to gain passage. This action contributed to a boycott of the stamps. Following a repeal, a committee of London merchants issued a public letter to Americans warning them not to declare victory. This was Mason's response, which was published in June of 1766. We have, with infinite difficulty and fatigue, got you excused this one time. Do what your papa and mama bid and hasten to return your most grateful acknowledgments for condescending to let you keep what is your own. With the Townshend Acts, Mason wanted Virginia to threaten to cut off tobacco. It was around this time he lost his wife and was the sole parent of nine children, which made him reluctant to accept political office that would take him away from Gunston Hall. Mason in May of 1774 was in Williamsburg on real estate business when he heard about the Intolerable Acts. A group of lawmakers among them were Lee, Henry, and Jefferson asked Mason to join them in formulating a course of action. They passed a resolution, but Lord Dunmore dissolved the legislature rather than accept it. It is likely Mason joined the members afterwards at the Raleigh Tavern. In 1774 and 1775, Mason spent most of his time organizing a militia independent of the royal government. By January 1775, Washington was drilling a small force, and both him and Mason purchased gunpowder for the company. Mason wrote, We came equal into this world, and equals shall we go out of it. All men are by nature born equally free and independent. Mason, who was in poor health and was needed as a parent for his children, filled Washington's seat as a delegate and journeyed to Richmond, Virginia. He was assigned to crucial committees and even though sick or healthy, was needed for his abilities. Mason, working in the Raleigh Tavern, drafted a Declaration of Rights and a plan of government. Edmund Randolph later recalled Mason's draft, swallowed up all the rest. This is George Mason's draft of Article I of the Virginia Declaration of Rights in 1776. That all men are born equally free and independent and of certain inherent natural rights of which they cannot by any compact deprive or divest their prosperity, among which are the enjoyment of life and liberty with the means of acquiring and possessing property and pursuing and obtaining happiness and safety. Much of his time during the Revolutionary War was safeguarding Fairfax County and the rivers of Virginia from Britain's raids along the Potomac. He served as a member of House of Delegates from 1776 to 1781, his longest continuous political service outside of Fairfax County. Due to his health issues, he was sometimes days or weeks late to meetings. In 1780, he remarried. Her name was Sarah Brent from a nearby plantation. She had never been married before and was 52 years old. She, of course, helped parent the many children of his, 
which was more of a marriage of convenience. It is interesting to also note at one point Mason spent Christmas at Mount Vernon. Jefferson visited Mason at Gunston Hall on October 1, 1792. He found Mason a long martyr to gout, needing a crutch to walk, though still sound in mind and memory. Less than a week after Jefferson's visit on October 7, 1792, George Mason died at Gunston Hall and was buried on the estate within sight of the house he had built and the Potomac River. Although Mason's death attracted little notice and only a few mentions in the local newspaper, Jefferson said he mourned a great loss. And James Monroe said, Mason's patriotic virtues through the revolution will ever be remembered by the citizens of this country. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and you can catch me next week on another episode here on The Founding Female.